Inside the Groove launched on the 29th of March 2020. The UK had gone into lockdown, Vogue had turned 30, and when those two things are combined, you get this podcast. Now, six months later, the series has celebrated 100,000 downloads, and that's big for an independent podcast with no commercial backing to it. So, it's time to celebrate. With so much talk around Madonna's biopic, I wanted to take time to discuss the songs that she's created for movies. I also wanted another opportunity to speak with Darren Hayes. The former frontman to Savage Garden is a singer, songwriter and performer in his own right, and he's a huge, huge Madonna fan. And with songs like Crazy For You, This Used To Be My Playground, Beautiful Stranger, there's so much to talk about. In fact, it's so long, we're going to have two episodes. So for now, let's go to the movies to watch Madonna with Darren Hayes. Hello and welcome to a special edition of Inside the Groove. I'm Edward Russell and I'm joined by a very special guest indeed, Darren Hayes. How are you, Darren? I'm good. I would describe myself more as a very special stalker of the podcast, but yeah, thanks for having me. (laughs) Well, well, you've been there since the beginning and that's kind of why I wanted to invite you back because you've been such an encouragement to me and to, to everybody and brought lots of people to the podcast. So who better to invite back for for a second chance to go inside the groove than, than oh, yourself? You're lovely. It's um it's been fascinating actually, and um to see how well the podcast has done and the reaction from um patrons as well has been really incredible. It's just a testament to the fact that this has been something that people have wanted to hear for a long time. So well done. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I I've been blown away by it, and you know, I was very close to giving up. Partly because I felt that it was running out of steam, and partly because I suppose I guess I resented a bit of the doing the work, even though I loved <laughs> and still love all the appreciation. But you know, the patron scheme makes things um, uh, a lot more palatable, I guess. But you know, it's it's just great to get that reflection. But also another reason to bring you back is: did you know that your previous interview uh, on the podcast is the 10th most downloaded episode of all time. I did not. And that makes me really happy because as you know, Madonna fans, we can be very fickle. (laughs) And as somebody who has been a fan, but also done a couple of cover versions of her song, I've always been very wary of upsetting the fan, even in me. Um, So to kind of have even the tacit approval of Madonna fans on your podcast (laughs) is awesome. So I'm thrilled about that. Well, and also, I think think I'm going to say this. The other reason I wanted to invite you back is I feel we're friends now. It's been six months, but I feel you and I are friends, and I'm sure we're going to meet up when this madness is all over. We'll be meeting up in person, I'm sure. If you do not visit my husband and I in Los Angeles, I shall never be friends with you again. Yeah, we're definitely (laughs) friends. Good, good. Well, I'm going to throw you in there because I find the best things in life are, uh, or, or things in life are best enjoyed when you make them a bit of a game. So what I've done is I've put all the songs that Madonna did for movies into a hat, and I'm going to pull them up one by one, okay, and ask you to talk about them. So the few, first one is this one here. There we go. That was Beautiful Stranger from the Austin Powers soundtrack. 1999. Do you remember it, Darren? Big time. So that was <laughs> such a huge hit. Um, now, let's speak really frankly now. Shock Horror, not one of my favorite Madonna songs. Wow. I am 
quite taken aback by that. I know, and I know that it's good. There is no reason for that. Perhaps it might be a lack of my own taste. But <laughs> um, for me, I can hear that is a leftover Ray of Light, William Orbit vibe. Mm. And um, I'm glad that it wasn't on the album Ray of Light because that was such a deep, spiritual, kind of serious record. Yeah. Um, and this is a, just a really fun, I can tell this is an autobiographical song because one thing we've learned from Madonna is that she loves being in love and yeah. um, she also loves writing about heartbreak. And I think I know who this song is about as well without getting too Ooh. gossipy. So Ooh. in a lot of, yeah. So in a lot of ways, I think it documents this period in her life when she moved to London uh, and uh, she was in a relationship before Guy Ritchie. Mm, so it was that carefree Madonna and I get it. It's fun and, uh, it makes sense, but it's just never been one of my favorite songs. I don't know. It sounds like a carnival. Mm. Well, do you know what? A little bird told me you might be true about that. We, we shall see. <laughs> <laughs> Subtly. Um, I love it. I really like Beautiful Strange. I think it's a really happy time in my life. I've got lots of good memories. Yeah. And you actually, 99 was really big for your career, wasn't it? Savage Garden were at their peak then, weren't they? It was the peak of uh, our career then, yes. And so I was kind of, um, I was around all of that stuff happening but thankfully, maybe it's the Australian in me. I don't think I ever truly realized just how much in the eye of the storm I was. So I was always excusing myself from famous people. Very, It was hilarious. That period of my life, I, I had someone once tell me that my way of meeting a famous person was to shake their hand, tell them everything that was good about them, and then politely excuse myself and leave. So <laughs> I remember that period as being frantic. And Madonna truly was in this second period of absolute domination i think she was as successful then as she was in the, the like a prayer period yeah. it, it felt like she was dominating and really controlling the sound of radio at the time yeah i very much tie it with the um, ricky martin song living la vida loca i think they're in the charts about the same time and they were both very radio friendly tracks did you know william orbit says he can't listen to this song anymore why? Um, not not because of the song and not because of the production, but I think it was one of the first tracks to be brick walled. You know that sort of loudness wars uh, thing that happened where the tracks were really compressed. Oh, yeah, and he says that the commercial releases of this are just so uh, impossible for him an, an audiophile to listen to. He cringes when it comes on the radio. So um, that makes sense because if you compare it to Ray of Light, the mastering on that record is very subtle. Well, yeah. I wouldn't say so. you know what I mean when I say that. Yeah. When if, yeah. if someone doesn't know what we're talking about with mastering, it's essentially controlling the loudness of a track. And the way that we used to master records for vinyl has become a bit of a trendy thing to do again now. So there's much more of a dynamic range, and you hear yeah. that in the Ray of Light album. You don't hear it in Beautiful Strangers. So you know what? Now I've got a new excuse. <laughs> it's just that it's brick walled. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. It's a great song. It's just it's just brick walled. I love it. I we should have done some sort of scoring thing, and you know, but I but it I, really it's, it's, is a great song. And that's the thing is, I freely admit that I have zero yeah. taste in say. My husband loves that song. Everyone I know loves that song. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's that cute little go go dance that she does live. <laughs> that just I don't know. It annoys me. I don't know what it is. Okay, that, that's fair enough. You're being honest, and that's, that's what we want. I'm sure we're going to conflict on our opinions a bit as we go on anyway. Okay, next song out the hat on. This one's a classic. 
And there we go from Dick Tracy, Sooner or Later. What a song. Okay, I'm obsessed with the Dick Tracy soundtrack. I heard you were into Dick. <laughs> That's an interesting name. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. So this is how I think I probably, I've got several points in my life where I probably realized I was gay. But when I went to my first singing lesson and I chose this as the song to <laughs> sing, come on. Mm. <laughs> um, her vocals on this song are so great. Um, she was working with Sondheim. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was before she met Joan later, the vocal coach that she would eventually work with for Evita. Yeah. I would love to find out who she worked with because maybe she was just interpreting the style of Sondheim, but her voice on this recording is extraordinary. I loved it during the Blonde Ambition tour. Um, and of course that performance she did of it at the Academy Awards when she took yeah. Michael Jackson as her date. It's so great. So for me, it just capped off this incredible year for Madonna where she literally turned up to the Academy Awards looking like Marilyn Monroe. She did this Vincent Patterson choreographed stage performance. Like I know that people do that now, but back then, who would work with a choreographer to choreograph yeah. a ballad? Madonna. Yeah. <laughs> and it was so great. The Harry Winston comment at the end of the live performance. If, if anyone listening hasn't seen this, it's on YouTube everywhere. But And her vocal live on that song, I think, is incredible as well. I love wow. it. I love that style for her. I would still love Madonna to do an album like this one day. One of her best. In fact, the whole I'm Breathless album. We were so lucky to get that. It was just fantastic. Yeah, the, the, the timing around it to me is always fascinating because as fans, we were fed little bits of information. Like you and I discussed this on Twitter, but there was a photo shoot that she did for Vanity Fair uh, around the time of Dick Tracy. And as Madonna fans, we were sort of fascinated because the first look that she had for Like a Prayer was long, dark hair. Yeah. She did that Herbert's photo shoot, but then there was a Pepsi commercial and she'd bleached the front of her hair. And I was like, mm -hmm. oh, that's interesting. She, at some point when she got cast in Dick Tracy and by the time she did the Express Yourself video, she'd chopped her hair, she'd bleached it. It was super, super blonde. And um, I just remember being fascinated with the process of her blondes. And by the time she did the Vanity Fair photo shoot, I could tell as a budding gay and hair colorist <laughs> that something had gone wrong with the color because it was slightly orange. So if you look yeah. at those photographs back then, her hair is yeah. kind of orange. And then later on, as you pointed out, when she did uh, Express Yourself at the MTV Video Music Awards, she was growing her hair out from what I think, having lived through many of my own, I think she was growing her hair out from a hair catastrophe. But in the middle of the catastrophe was this incredible soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> we, you know, we should do a whole podcast about Madonna's hair we instead. We could. I think there's, there's a lot. To, did you know that she pretty much shaved it off in... Um, Summer of 93. So she'd had a bleaching catastrophe then. And we didn't see her. There were no pictures of her. And the only time you see her is with a scarf on her hair, on her head. And, of course, then the only time you see it off is when she's in London at the start of the Gurdy show. And it's very, very short. So I did not know this. One yeah. day, maybe on another podcast, I'll tell you my own hair color story about Madonna <laughs> and <laughs> Alec Kashishian and, and a very similar thing. It was a disaster gone wrong with Madonna's colorist and my own hair. <laughs> but um, oh, yeah, I wow. did not know that. No, I did not. Wow. Know that. But back to the song. <laughs> back to the song. <laughs> Sooner or later. And it's produced by Bill Bottrell. 
Bill Bottrell was the engineer for Bad and everything onward it, for Michael yeah. Jackson. But Bill was yes. also part of um, um, Cheryl Crow's Tuesday Night Music Club, which then became her first album. So Cheryl Crow was Michael Jackson's backing singer. Bill Bottrell right. was the longtime engineer for um, Madonna and Michael Jackson. And then eventually he would go on to produce, I think, uh, that first massive Cheryl Crow record. So that's a very strange, All I want to do. Yeah, strange tangent, but yeah. Indeed. Okay, on to our next song. I wonder if there'll be hair-related uh, stories in this <laughs> one as well. Uh, out of the hat, it's this one. And there we go. That's crazy for you. From the movie Vision Quest, oh 1985. God. What okay. a song. Gone. I think this is one of the most beautiful songs in pop history. Oh, I'm glad you said that. I thought you were going to say you didn't like it. I love it so much. And I, I just, there's one line in there that I'm always trying to recreate the mood of. And I think Robin capitalizes on this. Capitalizes is probably the wrong word, but Robin's probably one of the only contemporary artists that can capture that melancholy sadness on the dance floor. Yeah. And it's in this song where she says, I see you through the smoky air. Can't you feel the weight of my stare? Oh, who That's hadn't true. felt that as a teenager about yeah. a crush or someone in a, in a room? And at the time it was, you know, the one blessing of being older than a lot of people these days is at the time of the release of this song, it was such a departure for Madonna. Because it was, it was the a, first ballad. Yes. And you know what's funny? We talk about, you You really understand this about Madonna, but what's what's crazy is that her ballads, um, we think of Madonna as a dance artist, and yet her ballads are some of the most revered uh, and adored songs of her career. And her, her ballad voice is the one that I, I just adore so much. And this was that first example of it. Um, you might know more than me. Was it Jellybean that wrote? Yeah. So Jellybean, no, he didn't write it. Uh, John Bettis and John Lind were songwriters uh, for this one. But Jellybean produced it and he was nervous because he hadn't produced a ballad before. I mean, he wasn't really a producer. He had started producing more by this point. Um, but it was a departure for both Madonna and him. I mean, she'd done some balladish songs on Like a Virgin. Obviously, you've got the cover of Love Don't Live Here Anymore. Mm-hmm. But you're quite right. This was a real, I mean, this is the first single. Well, yeah, just releasing it as a single. And what was interesting too in the 80s was that like there was a gamut of um, of ballads. You know, there were lots of dreary yeah. sort of ballads and they, they were very, you know, I think of, this is not a criticism, but I think of songs like I Want to Know What Love Is or I think of, you know, they, those epic yeah. long ballads, if they worked, they were huge, like Every Breath You Take by The Police or whatever. But yeah. Crazy for you had this kind of crossover teen appeal, but it was also mature, and we got to hear that voice of hers, and it was her first hit um, yeah. with the ballad. Um, the video too is so simple, and she looks so yeah. awesome in it. It's just her in a in a club. Do you know what I associate it with? Because um, I, I think it was fifteen when it came out, and mm. uh, so I was at high school, I guess, and sixteen. Sort of that, for me, it's school discos, and it's mm-hmm. you're waiting around at the end, and you're waiting for the slow song because there's a girl maybe that you want to ask to dance, and crazy <laughs> for you was the song that we were all nervously waiting, waiting for. So it just takes me back to that time. 
production's and, amazing too. The toms, I love the toms, the way they lay. It's almost like the tom fills in that song just kind of, it's almost like they roll out of bed. They're so they lazy. Do. I and, think they're live drums. I oh, think they are. Yeah. Yeah. Gorgeous. And then really. obviously the first time she performed it again since the Virgin tour, she did it on the uh, Reinvention tour, I think. Yeah. 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 And the response live to that was just incredible. Loved it. Love her. Oh. Great song, great song. Okay, so that was a song that was not written by Madonna. Uh, I'm going to go to the next one now. It's this one here. Where do we go from here? This isn't where we intended to be. We had it all. You believed in me. I believed in you. And this was the song... Written for Madonna specifically, "You Must Love Me" from Evita. Now, are you an Evita fan, Darren? Okay. Oh dear, I have never seen the movie. <gasps> oh my god, I'm gonna hang up. <laughs> I know, I get it, and you know what? I don't know why. I just, I've never seen the movie, but the song "You Must Love Me" kills me. It is, I mean, I'm obsessed with the song. Mm-hmm. I have used that before in my own. <laughs> not, not much has changed. I still sing Madonna songs in my singing lessons. <laughs> and that song kills me. I can't think of I can't think of a more perfect song. It sounds like she wrote it and the pleading mm. in her voice. And I understand what the scene is. I watched the scene, obviously. So I understand. Uh, spoiler alert, Evita died. Um <laughs> Um, but I, so I understand why her character is singing this on her deathbed and, but I think of it as a Madonna song. It's funny. Mm. It's so close to the character of Peron, but it's also, I think when Madonna sings it, I think of the little girl who lost her mother. I think of the, the woman who has a God shaped hole inside her that needs to be filled with love and that that ego that we love, uh, which, which essentially is what's so captivating about Madonna is that she's this force of nature, but she's also so fragile. And, um, again, the vocal performance and the intention of the song, I love it. It's one of my favorite Madonna songs. And let's talk about that performance at the Oscars. You must've seen that. Incredible. And you know, as well as many fans do, Madonna does get, I don't know if she would say she was nervous, but I know that the first song in many of her shows, as she continued on with her career, were often lip synced. And I totally empathize with that because the adrenaline when a show first begins, it's overwhelming. And adrenaline is an actual chemical that floods your body and the fight or flight mechanism kicks in. And it can be hard to sing and doing a live television broadcast is terrifying. All you can think about is I am going to mess this up and everyone is watching. And so part of that tightrope feeling I think is in her performance of that song and she nails it. Yeah. I, I mean, I think she nailed it. She, she's Barbara Streisand is looking at her. Barbara Streisand is in the audience and and you know it was really um what was great about Madonna's performance is she hadn't been nominated for an Academy Award um and yet she still turned up and sang that song I thought you know humility I thought that was great 
great performance. Yeah, you know, in doing a little research for this chat, um, I hadn't realised just how much Madonna and cinema have had in common. And I think the figure was something like she's appeared in 23 films. Wow. Yeah. Which is crazy. And when you look back, um, there's that early B-roll footage of the making of Desperately Seeking Susan. And by the time she was making, yeah, that film, I think at that period in her life, she thought she was going to be both an actress and a singer equally. Mm -hmm. And life just panned out a different way. And yet when we look back today, we realize this entire conversation is 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 about music that is so integrated into film by Madonna. But then also she's had this whole other career in film that many of us have just kind of dismissed, but it's been substantial. Well, this is why I'm surprised you haven't seen Evita. It's it's a great movie, Darren. It's that thing and there's nothing about Madonna. You know that thing when some, you just miss the window and then someone says, oh my gosh, you must watch <laughs> X, Y, or Z. And whatever that confirmation bias thing is inside <laughs> our brains, in my mind, I'm like, oh, really? I must see it? Then guess what? I'm going to be such an individual and I'm not going to see it. It's <laughs> okay. ridiculous. So, all right, this is a deal. When I come to LA next, uh, you, me, your husband, and my husband are going to sit down and watch Evita, okay? I'll do it. He's never seen okay. it either. Yeah, let's do oh, it. Well, my husband only recently, he's a big Madonna <laughs> fan, and he only watched it recently as well. So, uh, do you know, my husband is a huge fan, and we became massive fans together at the same time during the release of American Life. So he's come into her career in the second half of it, and now, you know, we're both obsessed. So it's great. Well, my husband was only born in 1984, so there we go. Uh, anyway, <laughs> we'll skip that one. <laughs> okay, now for this next one, this is this is gonna there's gonna be some feathers flying for this one. Here we go with the next song. <laughs> And that was Die Another Day from the movie Die Another Day. Now, you love this song, don't you? Yeah, and okay, here's the thing. Yes, you're wrong. It's <laughs> so genius. It's so, I don't know, it's so future fantastic. I understand what you said, and I'm now going to um, completely sound like a hypocrite because I understand the argument for your dislike of this song is that it sounds like a leftover from music, and it mm-hmm. totally does. Um mm-hmm. I love how dystopian it is. I love the editing, the chopping up of the vocals. When I was trying to imitate this sound, I used to actually go into um, Pro Tools and Logic myself, and I would cut the beginning and the ends of audio files of my voice, Mm -hmm. not realizing that I could just do that with a gate. So I would get these clipped vocals, but I loved the clipping of the vocals. I love that string arrangement. Um... The video to me at the time, I loved the video, but I know you, you don't really like it. Oh no, the video! I don't mind the video. Okay, yeah, I'm, all right. I'm, I, it's the but the song itself. I mean, yeah, and I get I get why people like it to an extent. I think for me, do you know what? If it hadn't been the song for a Bond movie, I probably would have liked it a lot more. I I was one of those people that had such expectations from Madonna doing it, and I oh. get that people say people say, oh, at least she didn't do a boring ballad which is true. But do you know what? Some of those Bond movies are not boring ballads. Goldfinger is one of the best, most dramatic songs ever. 
Yeah. Um, but Madonna, has, she doesn't, doesn't have the range, darling. She doesn't have the range. <laughs> she, well, and it was, she does I have the range. Know. She no, does I, I know what you mean. If, okay, what if Madonna had done, say, a Bond-style epic ballad like, say, Adele would do, which, which actually Madonna could totally pull off. Like, what if Madonna had done a sooner or later or, or something like that? Would you have been happier if she did something that was, say, more, um, I don't know, more technically, musically uh, sophisticated? I, yeah, I would have been. I mean, I, I love the American Life album. And, you know, if she'd used Nothing Fails or something like that, wow. maybe that, that could have worked uh, really well. The thing is, Die Another Day is not a very good Bond movie anyway. It's one of the worst Bond movies. And I'm a big Bond movie fan. So. Okay, that makes me feel better because I haven't seen that. I've seen a lot of the other ones. But, you know, I think I also like Die Another Day because live there's this incredible tango that she does. Yeah. Um, so I love the choreography. It's 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 a strange one for me because I blend the tours and the videos and things together. And if there's one element that annoys me, it might just be the video for Beautiful Stranger that annoys me. <laughs> it might just be that. I don't know. Um, okay. But yeah, I see what you mean. You and Elton John both hate this song. And if Elton John doesn't like a song, I can't really argue with that because he's one of the best songwriters of all time. So Elton hates the song. Okay, the next one is one that we both, I'm sure, agree on. Here we go. That was, of course, Live to Tell. I am hoping you listen to the episode about the writing of that one, uh, Darren. If anyone listening hasn't listened to the Live to Tell episode, I think it's probably your best episode. Um, And that's a high praise because I love, honestly, I'm not just sucking up. I love every show. And I actually squealed this morning because I got a little notification that there's there's another... um, <laughs> uh, there's another Patreon um, episode available about Express Yourself Live. Um, uh-huh. I loved that episode because I learned so many things about it. I didn't realize the songwriting process, and I'm I have such a, a huge um, love of uh, you know when Madonna writes with Patrick and Patrick Leonard. And mm-hmm. um, again, it's interesting. It's it's almost as though Madonna had taken Madonna out of the song when she was performing it. And I learned from you that maybe when she was writing it at first, she, she wasn't really intending to be the, the vocalist. Is that correct? It, that, that's quite right. And she, she didn't mm. think it was in her range. Uh, it was too deep for her. Wonderful. So she probably wasn't putting in the effort that she felt was needed. And maybe that's what worked. Maybe that's yeah. why it's I think from a psychological point of view, um, back then, if you think about who Madonna was too, culturally, she had a very defined image. And then obviously her marriage with Sean Penn and then just being involved with Sean in any movie capacity was was always going to be controversial. And to be able to step aside from the persona and just speak from that artistic place and then realize, oh my God, I've I've just written a song for me. When that happens with Madonna, it's it's really touching, I, I think, because you get this um, very honest, almost like, uh, it's almost like spirit writing, if you're familiar with the, the psychic mm-hmm. scam of people saying it. It's like she's channeling something even truer because it's not yeah. going through this lens of 
how will I sing it? How will I market it? What will I look like? Um, and and it hints at trauma that mm-hmm. perhaps I imagine she was speaking about. Uh, it was before the Like a Prayer album. So I just, I just, I love that it unlocked something in her as a songwriter. Yeah, I think thematically it's sort of like the precursor to Oh Father. And of course, On Blonde Ambition, I think she mixed the two songs together as well. It kind of. I never realized that. That's absolutely true. That's, of course, yeah. Thematically, she's joined them together by the time she does that tour. That's, I never even realized that. Yes. Yeah. And I, lo- I love stories um, about how she would sit down on the floor with a notepad, with her books, and, you know, write a song in 15 minutes. And this, of course, is one of those. And, and you know, she didn't always write like that. But when she did, that some of her best songs, like Prayer, you know, also written in the same way. I really hope um, that we can somehow convince Rick Knowles to come and talk to you on this show. And I'm pretty sure you're going to ha- it's going to happen because I'm just going to pester him until he does. <laughs> He's notoriously media shy. Um, partly because there was a period where a lot of Madonna demos leaked and they weren't mm. his fault. And I think he, it was inferred uh, that perhaps he had done that. But his stories about the writing that they did for the, like a... Uh, Ray of Light. Sorry, yes, for the Ray of Light album are, are extraordinary. And they are just as you describe. Um, how she came in so driven and so aware of what she wanted to say. She was very raw. Um, I've listened to some of those demos. And I would love it if they both felt comfortable about releasing them one day because... There's a version of um, to have and not to hold mm-hmm. where it's just one take on what I think is just a drum microphone. When you write with Rick Knowles, it's, he has this one sort of, it's almost like, um, I've never seen this microphone before and I don't <laughs> know why it's in the writing studio. And it is not something that you could put down to tape and perhaps that's on purpose but he also runs an uh, like an analog cassette recorder and that's what all the demos are on he'll run those tapes for hours and hours because in his way you find magic um and sometimes you have to go through hours and hours to find that one moment where there was magic but with madonna it kind of wasn't like that it was just he said he was just witnessing this kind of just outpouring of an artist that was just so ready to um I'm rambling, but it's magical. And uh, no, it's it's interesting yeah. you should say that because I was listening to William Orbit recently talking about her sensibility with music. She'll hear a piece of a backing track, or mm-hmm. you know, just somebody on a piano, and it's like she gets these ghost notes or whatever. She he says that she pulls out the the perfect melody that isn't there at all, but she comes yeah. out with these notes, and she's just got this incredible ability. When writing music. And, well, it's, it, um, it is, it, yes. And, and it's funny listening to your Shep stuff when you were talking about Madonna and Shep writing for um, Erotica. It's, it's interesting when you hear those early demos. Like if I listen to Bye Bye Baby or if I think of um, even some of the stuff, the earlier versions of Erotica, you can sort of hear that Shep really wasn't the player that Madonna mm-hmm. was used to working with where a chord has like you said, these jumping off notes or even ghost notes, or she's hearing, say, um, a discordant harmony in her head and then she sings that. Um, when, you're, when you're a writer the way she is, and I'm similar, and you're working with a, a, an instrumentalist, often it's like it's an interpretive dance and they can hear where you're going and maybe they'll slightly 
just change the chord accordingly. But it's fascinating to see um, uh, what Tony Shimkin brought mm-hmm. to those songs because you could hear w- that he was like, oh, I see where she's going with this. And then he would fill out the music and then her melodies would become more complicated too. I'm rambling. <laughs> well, no, not at all. Hold the thought on chat, Darren. We'll be coming back to him. Join me and Darren again as we continue our conversation about Madonna at the movies. So many other songs to cover, including American Pie and, of course, Into the Groove. And we'll also give our thoughts on the upcoming movie itself. If you want to get access to that second part early, and indeed all episodes early, then just become a patron. You need to donate as little as a dollar, and you get all this extra content before everybody else. And it's also a way of showing your support six months in, 100,000 downloads later. It's a lot of work. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope you're going to enjoy the second part. And I'll speak to you soon.